Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. We've been doing a series here in the last couple weeks, and we'll continue for the next couple weeks on the grace of God. And what I learn and understand, and understand when we talk about God's grace, a lot of people get kind of hung up on when we talk about being free. It sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? And we live in a very skeptical and cynical world. And when anytime you offer something free, what is our response to it? What's the catch? What am I getting myself into? And you've all, and I'm guilty of this as well, click on this is free, and then all of a sudden you get down to free, and then it's asking for a credit card number. I'm like, I thought it was free. Well, free for 30 days, or, you know, all these things going on. And, and I almost picture kind of like people sometimes hear of, of, of grace, the grace of God is a free gift of God, which it is. Scripture tells us so clearly it is. But many times it sounds like this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you lacking direction in your life? Are you unsecure of your eternal destination? Then try Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Wondering how much it'll cost? $1,000? $500,000? $50? How about $19.95? No. It's absolutely free. You won't be disappointed. In fact, in the next 10 minutes, if, if you respond in the next 10 minutes, we will throw in... A whole set of steak knives. Wonderful, beautiful steak knives. And if you don't like the free gift of salvation, you could send that back within 30 days and you get to keep those steak knives free. No cost to you. Operators are standing by. Sometimes, I think, people out there get that impression. But you and I have experienced as we say in Chris today, man, we, we've experienced the grace of God in our lives. We're going, oh, no, no. Yeah, it's free, but it was costly to him. We're going to spend some time here in a few minutes before we end around the communion table. And we're going to talk about, we're going to reflect upon how amazing this wonderful free gift that we received, but the price that Jesus paid his body and blood broken for us. How amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a soul like you and me, but that's not all. You're thinking, what else is there? I want to talk today about another side of grace that we so desperately, not only to save us, but do even more. See, here's something just to camp on for us these next few minutes is that God's grace is not only enough to save us, it's also enough to sustain us. Um, I want to, you know, give a little disclaimer as we jump into this. I'm sick. I probably sound sick. A little bit of Elmer Fudd. If you're sick and you're around me this week, I'm sorry that I got you sick, but I got sick from somebody else. And so it, it's, it's going around a little bit. And I said in the first service and I had to, I'm glad I did because I, I, I kind of blurted out and I yelled at people in the middle of it. So I might yell at you at this point because I, I hopefully am led by the Holy Spirit, but I'm also under the influence of Dayquil. Okay, and so I just making that disclaimer as we get into this. But sustaining grace is what we're going to talk about here. Now, I had to look up the word sustain. It means to provide with nourishment, to keep us, uh, keep up, prolong, to support the weight, to carry or withstand. 
I don't know about you, but I need that type of grace in my life. I know, I know, I'm going to go to heaven. It's going to be wonderful. I'm saved by God's grace as a gift. But I need God's grace. I need desperately times for him to hold on to, for me to help me through, to keep me going. And I'm sure you do as well. But where do we get that? We get it from the one that is embodied both in grace and truth. And today we're going to look at another grace-filled encounter. Last week we looked at the, the woman who was caught in adultery and how God just through Christ, displayed an amazing grace. And we're going to look at another grace-filled moment. But when we get into it, the front end of this story is not very grace-filled. It's actually kind of cruel. It's actually kind of sad, really, and, and painful. And then there's a side of grace that we're going to look at today. In fact, John, the, the writer that, of this gospel, John, the eyewitness that saw, truly saw the work of grace, both grace and truth through the life of Jesus. He writes about an encounter that happened in John chapter 11. We read that Jesus received word that his close friend Lazarus was very, very ill. So sisters sent word to Jesus. His sisters sent word, Lord, the one you love is sick. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now think about this a little bit. Your friend is sick You have all the power in heaven since you're God to heal him, but you wait. He even makes this comment, Jesus says in in those verses, like, oh, no, he won't, you know, not really die and all this. And he does, though. Like, what are you doing, Jesus? Here's your friend. That's It's not just any random person. This isn't just someone in the crowd. I mean, come on, Jesus healed so many people. He's called the great physician. He healed the blind eyes. He opened the deaf ears. Ran the people that didn't know him very well. And he kind of knew them in a sense. But he lets his friend not only continue to be sick, but ends up dying. You need to realize that Jesus is only two miles away from Jerusalem to where his friend is in, in Bethany. Two miles. I know there wasn't cars. I know there wasn't bikes. But you can walk two miles, Jesus. You don't even need a walk. But he waits. You can do your God thing and come back to Jerusalem. If you got business, you got to deal with there. What's the deal? Not the picture of the grace of God that we're wondering. I think many of us can think the same thing. We, 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 we give in. We, we lay down. We say our lives. Rather than our credit card, we lay down our life. We say, okay, well, I, I'm, I'm bought into the program here. Is there a money back guarantee if I don't get what I want out of it? Do I get to keep the steak knives out of this deal, Jesus, if it doesn't work out? And we get caught up, and, I, and, and I'm, believe me, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. We have a theme of gratefulness. I'm grateful for what God has done in my life and, and, and has done so much. And I know that I'm going to heaven, and I have this friendship with God, and, and, and I, I, I'm secure in my final destination, all that. But we can struggle in the here and now. We can struggle. Maybe you struggle today, suffering pain, conflict, and difficult situations. And we just go, God, I need a little bit of grace. Get me through what I'm getting through. And we just want God, to fix it, fix the problem, take care of the pain, let's move on. Why do we got to go through what we got to go through? See, it's been a year for, for my life, my, my family, um, both, both in just a lot of things have happened, but specifically just in loss. A year ago today, 
The first death of seven deaths in my family this last year. My, my Aunt Eleanor died today, a year, a year ago. My cousin had put that on Facebook this morning. Seven deaths in a year in my family. Now, a couple of them I didn't know real, real well, but I did, as a pastor, six, involved six of the seven services. So not only am I kind of working through my own grief, I'm helping everybody else through their grief. It takes a toll. Some of you know the feeling like I'm just kind of caring, helping carrying everybody along. And I'm just trying to find what I need to sustain my own life. A friend of mine reminded me of a book that I had picked up several years ago and, and I'm rereading. And, and you know how times you pick up a book and you're like, that was a really, really good book. And then you have a season going, oh, this is really good. And the book is, uh, is written by Jerry Sitzer and it's titled Grace Disguised. Jerry is a professor at Whitworth College in Spokane. Uh, if you heard Matt and Tony are here and Matt and Tony were mentioned in the video today, and there's small group leaders in our church. They know, they know Jerry personally. His story is, is horrific. Talk about loss and pain and wondering where God is in all of it. 1991, he was driving with his family, and they were struck by a drunk driver head on. And that accident, one accident, killed three generations of women in his family, his wife, his four-year-old daughter, and his own mother. His own mother actually grew up here in, in Linden. Three deaths, one, one moment, all that was left was him and a, a couple of his children left in, the, in, his, in his life. How do you write, let alone cope, and understanding grace? Yeah, grace disguised. Yeah, what in the world is that? And what we find in Jerry's stories expresses learning sustaining grace. He wrote of this terrifying accident as he's actually heading and being transported to the hospital himself. He said this, I realized something incomprehensible and extraordinary had happened. Life, almost life was in slow-mo, suspended over time and space. He, he continued on, he said, ransacked by my mind for options out, out of pain. I knew intuitively loomed ahead for me and family. In a brief window of time, I exhausted all possibilities except one. I realized that I would have to suffer and adjust. And I, I could not avoid it or escape it. There's no way out ahead but into the abyss. Some of you know what the abyss is. You know that dark place. St. John of the Cross, he wrote as a medieval priest, wrote the dark night of the soul. Somebody, some, many of you know that dark moment in your life. It might not be losing a spouse and child and a parent in one accident. It might not be as this, these grieving sisters or the loss of their brother or myself in this last year, you, your pain and your loss is differently. But I want to I tell you this in understanding, whatever your loss is, it's loss. Your loss should not compare to my loss. Loss is loss. It is. And what do we do? How do we get through it? There's a dark side. You almost think there's even a dark side of grace. That lonely dark night as that ambulance is blaring as he's heading to the hospital. He says, I faced the test of my life. When I arrived at the hospital, I stepped into a whole new world. It was there soul work would begin. Grace disguise. Grace not only to save us, but supernaturally to sustain us. That is the cold, hard reality of the type of grace that we need. Not later, but now. Not 
you know, in the hereafter, but now that we need. We have choices. We have a choice that we can deny the face of, in the face of loss and tragedy and pain. And we could try to avoid it. We could try to numb ourselves through it. We can do all the times of things. No, we have to, in the reality, at some point go through it. We have to go through it. We have to accept that reality. And as Christ followers, as much as we have ahead of us of heaven, we look and we have to have heaven's perspective understanding this. And this wonderful promise that we have, is, as wonderful as this, is that we, we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to go through it alone. Our help and our hope is found in the the God of all grace incarnate in the life of Christ. Where we just left off that here Jesus waits two days. He had all the power to heal, but he chooses to wait. What's up with that? What we're going to find is that, and we're going to give a bold shot at this, there's actually meaning. That there's actually purpose in the midst of loss, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, that we're going to even attempt. I'm going to, I'm going to courageously try to do this in my, my dayquil mind and communicate with you here today that there is some hope that we can have. And I want to talk for a moment here, understanding God's sustaining grace. And the first is this, is that God's delay doesn't always mean no. Sometimes it means not yet. How torturous, think about this, it must have been for these dear sisters of Lazarus. Think about this. I mean, Jesus, seriously, not no, but it's not yet. When Jesus finally comes, when Mary reaches the place where Jesus was and saw him, this is Mary, the the sister, She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would have not died. If you would have been there, if you would have been there, my mother would not have died. Have you maybe been honest before God? Because that's pretty confrontational to Jesus. Would you have said the same thing? Lord, if you'd been there, that accident would never happen. Lord, if you would have been there, my child would not have been miscarried. Lord, if you would have been there, my parents wouldn't have divorced. My parents wouldn't have died at an early age. Lord, if you would have been there. See, we have great need. We have great pain. We, we work through the struggles. And we say, well, I need a little help here. And like, it almost, maybe it feels for you that, that God's in another town. That, he, that he's held up in traffic. That, that heaven's app crashed or something. Like, why are you not coming through? But here's a question I have for us in the midst of it. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for in the wait of Jesus coming and doing what only Jesus can do? I don't know about you, but I... I hate to wait. I hate to wait. And I think technology is not helping any of us, is it? It's getting faster and faster, and I just become more impatient. Do you know there one, one day I used to, I actually used to go in a grocery store and shopped. There was a day I did that. I, I, I don't do that anymore. I, I, have a, I have an app that I can order things from my, my, and my computer from my couch, and I can actually get groceries. Now, I do show up, not in the store, but... Sometimes I show up and, and, and I'm there and I, I call a phone number and then they magically bring me my groceries. Sometimes though I forget something, I have to go in the store and I have to, I have to go through aisles and I have to actually interact with people. 
and they're in my way sometimes. And then I have to get in a line. I'm like, oh, these poor people, don't they know there's an app to do that? Here, what I'm saying is this, I'm becoming more and more impatient. And here's the thing, I think that impatience rolls into my relationship with God too. Because, oh, I want God to do what he wants to do because I live on demand. I click this and do this and I should get this. And God doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way in my life. Peter reminds us of this. Peter writes in the context of the persecuted church who desperately wished that God would fix the situation that he was in and he doesn't do that. But he says these words. He says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. What the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone come to repentance. I always like to rewind that. He is patient with you, and he's patient with me. And we begin to dwell on that, the fact that I get perspective of, 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 of the fact that the Lord has his own timing. The Lord actually has a bigger, better perspective than I do. And on top of that, the Lord is doing a lesson and, then the, and the waiting. Why did he wait two, three, as we're going to find, four days that happens before this dead man, I won't say what happens. Some I mean, of you know what happens. But there's waiting. There's waiting that takes place. What is God doing in your life in the waiting? You know what I think he's doing in my life, in your life? He's teaching us in the waiting. There's a lot of learning in the waiting. There's a lot of learning in the waiting. You're like, well, I just want the answer to the test. Can I, teacher, can you just give me the answers? No. There's a lot of learning in the waiting. It's not getting the right answer. It's actually experiencing what Lord wants to do to grow us, to mature, mature us, to develop us, and trusting in Him and what He is doing. Jesus waited to not rush to, to Bethany to rescue His friend. He's waiting as well. He's waiting on us. He's waiting us to wait. I love what King David writes. So personal and practical. He says this, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I put my hope. That's powerful. In the waiting, I'm putting my hope. In the waiting, I put my hope, not in my ways, not in my timeline, not what I click and what I turn to. I'm putting my hope in the word, his truth, his promises. There there will be a day. There will be a day when it will happen. But guess what? It's not my timing It's his perfect timing. Another thing to discover in understanding God's grace is this. God is with us in the pain to help us hold on. God is with us in the pain. Help us to hold on. This is where I yelled at everybody last week to wake up. You guys are with me. You had a little little bit more caffeine and an extra hour of sleep. You with me here? God is with me in the pain to help us hold on. And and the the encounter of Lazarus, the shortest verse in the Bible, right here. Shortest verse, two words. So significant, though. So powerful, though. When Jesus finally arrived at Lazarus' tomb, it it says that Jesus wept. You understand that God cried at that moment. He wept for his friend Lazarus. And you're thinking, why do you need to do that? Why do you need to weep for your friend? You could fix your friend if you would have been here a few days before. You would have been alive. You could have healed them. 
I think it's such a simple reminder for us that, that God doesn't always respond, not because he doesn't care, it's because he knows exactly what we're going through and wants to walk with us through what we're going through. I love how Hebrew writer describes it, says, we do not have a high priest. A high priest is one that goes before God who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet with, was without sin. What a powerful thing to recognize that in his weeping, it doesn't mean he's weak. In his weeping, he's expressing his humanity, that he's, that he's weeping with us. When you're going through what you're going through, know that you're not going alone. There's a, there's a Lord that loves you and understands grief has demonstrated that grief in his own life to share with us that he's not going to leave us nor forsake us. And, and, and in fact, this another kind of marker in my life, 10 years ago about this time, my mom started having heart attacks. It was within the first week of October, actually, that she's had to go in for triple bypass heart surgery. And it was a laborious process, and, and she ended up coming out doing okay, with, but within six months, she passed away of complications from that. How many times that happened? One out of 10,000 people that happens to. It happened to her. And I tell you, if you've lost a parent, if you lost a, a spouse, there's a, the, 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 a close person, there's some type of deep weeping that happens. It's uncontrollable. For, for many of us. And there was a sorrow, and I, had a, I have a wonderful wife and wonderful kids and great church and so many people supportive, but there's a loneliness in, in grief, isn't there? And to know and to feel the presence of God, to, that Jesus is weeping with us. He understands and this grace, not just to save us, but to sustain us, to support the weight, to carry us through, to help us withstand. Jesus weeps, and he still weeps. He still helps us through our struggles because what happens with pain, that loss is loss. And pain, as much as it's painful, it's permanent. And we work through it and we try to move on and we bring resolve as much as we can to move on. But how many of there's pain that's ongoing too? There's pain that we're going through and having. And sustaining grace to help us through in our weakest moment actually can be the greatest strength that comes from our life. The Apostle Paul writes this, of his own chronic pain that he suffered going through. And the pain that was ongoing, we don't know what it was, but he says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Three times. We don't know if it was a physical ailment. We don't know if it was what his problem was. We don't know the difficulty that was happening to him. We all know, well, all we know is that he was pleading to the Lord. And you read that and you go, three times? You're like, I've, I've been pleading with the Lord 300 times or 30 years of it. Some of you suffered that kind of struggle that you have. And so we want God to fix my situation. God, help me, heal me, touch me. And nothing seems to be working. For myself, I've battled, many of you battled chronic pain. Right now, I've, for whatever reason, I've got, I've got numbness in my legs. And you're thinking, well, try this and do this. Sure, let me know what that is. Because I've asked this doctor, this doctor, and this treatment and everything going through. And some of you know that way. You're going through this process and you're working through the struggle. And what's, but what's so powerful is this. In the struggle, in the struggle that you're going through, there is the Lord helping you through it. Yet it feels like God's in another town. But I love what Jerry writes. He says, our loss does not have to win. Our pain does not have to win. He says, our response to the loss that, that defines us, our, our response to the loss that 
defines us. It's not what happened to us that what matters as much as what happens in us. It doesn't have to define you, but our response to it defines us. And Paul makes this powerful statement, and actually Jesus is the one speaking directly that Paul writes. He says this as he's saying, I pleaded with the Lord three times, Lord, take it away, take it away. He says this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, the weakest, darkest moments of our life, God's power is where it's strongest. Because when we're in utter defeat and there's nothing we can do, and that, 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 healing, that, that lack of healing led to death and the permanency of death or the ongoing struggles and where we're in weakest place, that is where God's strength is. And I would tell you over and over again as a pastor, I've seen this in lives. People have had cancer, debilitating diseases, pain and struggles and loss, horrible, horrible loss. And I meet with them and they're not only coping, but there's a, they have this inner joy with them. There's a smile on our face. And I'm like, how can you get, how could you be smiling? How could you have any joy? And all they could say, it's God's grace in their life. That is God's sustaining grace. I'm in awe of that. God offers a sufficient grace to you and I to empower us. Listen to this in verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. That we ever we boast, we're boasting in the Lord and what he has done. And that's, a, that's what we're going to find what took place in this, this encounter that Jesus had and the people that were there where people go, wow. I can't believe it only would be God. See, ultimately know this finally is that Jesus' divine purpose with his friend Lazarus is this. God's reason always leads to redemption. God's reason always leads to redemption. I found one of the cruelest realities for an atheist, if they really believe there's not a creator, how random life must be and how cruel life must be when pain happens because there's no one to give blame to. You ever thought about that? Actually, Jerry wrote this. He says, Sister wrote, he says, suffering may be at its fiercest when it's random. And I understand in life when things happen, when people are, people are struck dead or horrible things happen out of the blue. And we go, why? But what we many, many times do, we go, why God? And some people will raise their fists and say, God, why could you do this? We just saying that you are good, that you are good. Really, you're a good God that you allow this? And we go through the struggle that's there. But the comfort to know and, and the pain of all that is that there is a God that, that understands it all. That there's a God that's sovereign. And when we don't understand it on this side of the grave, that he has a plan and he has a hope and he has a future in that. At least... There's that, right? But when you don't believe in God and there's no purpose to it, how does even people comprehend that? That in the midst of the horrible, horrible things, there's some granule, minute purpose in it all. And here is where we find it is. It is all about, in this story here, about redemption. That God is not only God, but that God is good. And not only that he's good, that he has a good plan. And that is to redeem, for people to turn to him and to find his goodness and grace themselves. See, in the very moment Jesus heard the news, even when his friend was ill, he said this, it is good for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. People are like, yeah, 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 that's great. That's a great thing that happened. And then they go through it. And the reason Jesus did or didn't do what he 
didn't do what he could have done is that he had a bigger plan, that he was going to show how awesome and how big God is, not only to heal, but the power over death to offer true life. See, when Jesus finally, finally, he came to town, the Lazarus sisters were so ticked off that Jesus waited so long, but Jesus said to, to, to her and said to one of them, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And, he, and then he asks this question, do you believe this? And she goes, yeah, I believe this. I believe that one day, Jesus, you're going to make it all. You're going to restore everything that's happened. But what about my dead brother now? What about now? It's a question for us as well. Do you believe? Yeah, I believe. You know, one day we're going to have it. It's all going to work out and everything's going to be great. But what about now? Do you believe that God can work in the here and now in his timing and his purposes with the junk that we're going through right now? If you do, recognize this, that many of us in that process, we can be God's object lesson. How many have been God's object lesson of, of grace? I think a lot of us say, yeah, there's been times that God's work. And for you at your expense, and others go, wow, look at what God did. And that's, if you ever felt that way, well, you can somewhat relate with the dead and decaying Lazarus. How many know God takes drastic measures to get our attention? That's precisely what he does. Put, in, put yourself in Lazarus' shoes. Here, Jesus comes to his tomb. The whole town is gathering and wondering what's going to happen. And you need to recognize this is that not only people are like, oh, here it comes, here it comes. There was another type of crowd are going, oh. I mean, he can't even heal his friend. I mean, let alone do anything else. It's kind of too late. There's a skepticism. We live in a skeptical, cynical world. And it was, there was a crowd. It says, some of them said in verse 37, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? <laughs> man, credibility's on the line. The big moment happens when Jesus orders the stone to be rolled away from the tomb. He says, take away this stone. He said, but Lord, listen to Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there is a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. If you have a King James Bible, it says, he, Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> I remember getting in the car in middle school after basketball practice, and my mom goes, you stinketh, okay? He's, Jesus said this, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took the, the stone away, they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you. You have heard me. I know that you're always hearing me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they would believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped in, with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, we love that moment, but you got to go back. Imagine you're Lazarus. Imagine you're not just dead for four minutes or four hours. You're dead for four days. I mean, you're checked into heaven. You went through orientation. You got your keys to your mansion. You thought... Amazon Prime two-day was quick. How about two-second? Boom, boom, boom. You're getting everything. Everybody's backing up. Geek Squad setting up your flat screens and your surround sound, and everything's good. And you get a, you get a call and say, we got a problem. You need to come to the front desk. And whew, you're in a dark, dank tomb. And you go, what is that smell? I stinketh, right? I'm back in this 
dirt hole. Poor guy. I, no one interviewed Lazarus. That's where he's going, oh, I'm back, right? But he's back. Why? Why? Because of the glory of God to be shown. And I love what it says here. The beautiful expression it says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can I give you a next step for us this week? What we're to do? Those who have come back from the dead ourselves, who are dead in Christ and now raised to new life, we're to help other people who are coming back from the dead take off those grave clothes. That's called being in a small group. Hey, let me help you with that. Let me, let me help you on. You don't have to live your old life any longer. There's a new life. You can be clothed in Christ Jesus. And that's what happens. This beautiful moment happens. This redemptive moment happens. Listen, listen to this amazing story, how it concludes. He says, says, therefore, many of the Jews had visited Mary, had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. Boom. That's the reason that our lives would be glorified through him, that all the pain and all the things and all the sorrow that one day, one day God would use in such a small little life that we have to find divine purpose for his redemption. Can I tell you, God is still good at raising the dead. God is still good at raising the dead. Us former dead people have an opportunity to help others Unravel those grave clothes. Those of us who, we the resurrected, have an opportunity to help those along today. But let's not forget the reminder that he's still calling people back. He's still calling people by name. And he's calling your name and my name even today. I invite our team to come. Our ushers are going to prepare. We're going to have a time of communion here. And as we do, he's calling names still. He's still calling Jack, Lisa, Jenny, Sarah, Tom, John, Kim, Jim, you know, Jim Joe, Bob, all, all, all coming, all come. He's calling our names to respond to him, to go from the, from the dead to decay to this living life we have in Christ. And it's all encumbered in the greatest death and resurrection ever to happen, his very self. In a moment here, Arsha is going to give you a cracker, represents Christ's body. The cup represents his blood. And we're going to take a moment. Let's have this moment before we leave here. Let's take these remaining minutes to reflect on all that Jesus done in our life. And I want you to consider this as you're holding them. Say, Lord, I, I know you saved me, and this is a representation symbolic of all that you've done. But Lord, I need your same, gra- same grace to sustain me. And we're going to take some time to pray here before we about what's going on. So, ushers come forward as we say, I love that line, make me a vessel, make me an offering. What's that saying is that we're God's object lesson. That God wants to do a miracle in us, but he wants to do miracles through us. He wants his life to flow through us. Where we were dead and decaying in a life of sin, Jesus comes and redeems us, saves us. But it's the, it's the pathway through. As we're going from death to life, we don't have to go through it alone. Jesus did that. Jesus declared and proved not only that day to that group of people but to all the world that he is the resurrection and the life you know think about why the pain why the suffering that we go through that's a great question isn't it why the pain and why the suffering that Jesus had to go through it seems like there'd be an easier way to do it no you can't avoid it you got to go through it and if you would just picture with me Jesus on that cross he is suspended between heaven and earth. He's not touching heaven. 
He's not touching earth. He was the substitution of our for our sin. He's the go-between. And he's shouting and crying out in the last words. He says, Father, Father, why are you forsaking me? Jesus is asking the why in the moment himself, but ultimately knew what needed to be done to pay the price for us. And he shared that with his disciples, what he was going to do in that, that last supper moment when he held up the bread he said, this is what needs to take place. My body would be broken and put to death for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. Thank you, Lord. Let's just take a moment and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Oh, Lord, so grateful. Later in the end of the, the supper time, he held up a cup and he said, this is my blood. It's to be poured out as a sacrifice, as, as a as shed blood for the, the forgiveness of sins. It's a new, in fact, a new agreement that I'm signing with my blood of a new covenant that I'm making. That no longer any more sacrifices, no more shed blood need to take place. My grace is sufficient to save sustain your life. Drink in remembrance of me. I'm going to invite you just to stay where you're seated and pass your cups to the aisle. In fact, actually, once you stand, I'm sorry, just stand. And as you pass your cups to the aisle, we're going to do one more thing. And we're going to close here real quickly. And as you stand and our ushers collect them, I'm going to pray one lasting prayer and then we're going to dismiss from here. And we're going to pray a prayer for those here today that not only you say, no, Jesus has saved me, but I need his grace to sustain me. The last service, we had people respond this way by just simply putting up your hand. And I'm going to invite you to do the same today. If you just need prayer, right where you're at, we're going to do this. You're saying, I need, I need Jesus sustaining grace in my life. I'm going through the going through. I'm in the dark place right now. There's a dark place I'm in right now, and I just need him to help me through it. I need him to be that go-between, to get me through when I'm getting through. I need his grace. And what's so powerful about his grace is that his grace is sufficient. It's enough, not just to get you through, but to, to give you the joy in the midst of it, to help you through it all. Because when we are in our weakest moment, the promise of God's word that he's the strongest in our life. And I'm going to invite you if, you, if that's you right now, you need the Lord's sustaining grace. Can you just slip your hand up right now? Just right where you're at. Put your hand up today. And as people are putting their hands up, could, could you around you, if someone has their hand up, put, keep your hand up. But someone's going to put a hand on your shoulder right now. We're going to close in prayer. And we're going to believe the Lord to work in your life and ask for his sustaining grace. So if there's a hand around you, if you could place it upon, put your shoulder on that person or have their hand up. Let's, let's agree together as we close this service. Lord, thank you for your work that you're doing in our lives. Not only to, that you saved us by your grace, but your grace from this very moment to sustain us. Our brothers and sisters are in this room and there is no resolve right now. There is there's pain that they're going through that has no resolve. Uh, they're, not, they're not healed at this moment. 
Uh, they're, they're in a problem. They're in a difficulty that's not resolved. In fact, it's, it's di- very, very difficult for them right now. Some have experienced tremendous loss of a loved one in their life, and they're not healed from it. They're struggling through the why of it all. But Lord, you promised something so amazing is that your grace is sufficient in our time of weakness, that you can be strong. And we pray that you be strong in them right now. By your spirit, as they feel the hand on that shoulder, may they know that's your hand upon them, that you got them, that you're not letting go, that you're helping them through it because Jesus, you paid the highest price. You know what it's like. You are not unsympathetic with our weaknesses because Jesus, you took it all the way to the cross so that we can find healing and hope and wholeness. Maybe not all on this earth, but one day in heaven. So in the meantime, your grace sustains in us. And Lord, that we can be vessels that you can flow through us, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're free to go. We're going to leave from here today. I want you to know we're here to pray with you. There'll be some folks up here in the front or the back. Don't forget, small groups, get involved. Help each other take those grave clothes off this week. God bless you. Have a great week.